Well, good morning, church, and uh, post Merry Christmas to you. I can still say Merry Christmas, I'm advised, so Merry Christmas it is to you all, even though probably you've opened all the presents and enjoyed the, uh, the feast of yesterday anyway. Okay, uh, hopefully you got a, a bulletin when you walked in. You know the activities of the church are, are mostly on holiday, just like the rest of us. Uh, so we don't have any, uh, any uh, things to announce other than, uh, no, uh, there will only be one uh, uh, children's church class today. And they'll all be meeting in the adventurer's room with Miss Tina. Okay? And the same with next week, just one class. All right, if I haven't missed any announcements, uh, what we'll do is we'll read uh, Micah. In chapter 5, we're going to read five verses from that. First verse you won't recognize, but the other verses after that, I'm, I'm sure you will. Then we'll pray together, and then we'll sing together, all right? Micah 5, verse 1 says, Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old. Oops, what does it do? <laughs> Sorry. From, from, from old of everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up under the time that he, she who is in sin, who is in labor, has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the, in the majesty of the name of the Lord of his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Thus is the reading of the word. May we bless his word. Why don't you bow your heads together with me? And we'll pray together. Father, we do take this time to, to praise you and thank you for this time, this season that we call Christmas, where we celebrate your coming to earth to sacrifice yourself for us. Father, we praise you for that because we know that, that that's the only thing that saves us, the only thing that keeps us from going to hell, and that saves us from our sins, Lord, from the penalty of our sins. Father, we pray that uh, this day you would remember us and remember the things that we pray to you. We pray that uh, knowing that there are people in our congregation who are not with us today for a number of reasons, some who are sick, some who are traveling, and Father, I pray for those, that you would heal those who are not with us because of illness and can't be with us because of sickness. We pray for those, Lord, that are traveling, and we give the, ask for you to give them traveling mercies, Lord, that they would be able to return to us again next week and fellowship with us as... Uh, as members of our body. We pray for those who are watching online that they would hear the truth about Jesus Christ and the things that he has done for us. We ask for your blessing upon our time here together that we would sing and worship Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us? Time of worship.
Thanks, Jacob. Something like 11 years ago, 
Uh, Jacob came and interviewed for the job that he's held since then and did something similar with just a guitar that he borrowed. You borrowed the guitar, right? You didn't even have a guitar. And uh, I hired him based on something like that, one of the better decisions I've ever made. But Merry Christmas to you. It's still Christmas. We don't have to apologize for that. We're not liturgical here, but there are 12 days after this, right? Or after yesterday. Yesterday was the first day. We have 12 days. It's Christmas. Um, but if you're like me, I hope that you had a Merry Christmas. I presume that you did. I started with the day, the day with kind of a beef coma because we had a large rib roast. And then I had a pie coma. And then I was just comatose. I don't know what happened after that. I just, and, and frankly, I'm, a little, I'm moving a little slow today. Um, and you might be asking, what now? That's what the title of the message today is. Because it's a little bit strange, isn't it? I was telling Steve this morning. Oh, children, you guys can go to children's church. Sorry about that. See, I told you I was moving a little slow. I can blame it on the pie coma today. But um, what now? You know, we know what to do when, when Christmas falls on a Sunday, as it will this coming year, 2022. We should probably say that differently, right? Sounds like 2020 also. We don't want that. 20, 2022 would be all right. It will fall on Sunday. And so we know what to do on Sunday. We know what to do when Christmas falls on a Wednesday. We have a Christmas Eve service. We have Wednesday and we come to church. It feels a little bit weird, doesn't it? It's okay. You can tell me. It feels a little weird to me to have Christmas on a Saturday and to have, be at church on Sunday uh, not because we don't know what we're doing, we're celebrating uh, Jesus, but I, I wonder how it felt. Um, all of the prophecies that we read fulfilled out of uh, particularly Isaiah, right? The, and John, I mean, the Word became flesh. The light came into the world that would enlighten every man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, those things. Wonderful things that we celebrate. Uh, every year, we, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. Uh, I said that many babies in the history of mankind have become kings, but only one king became a baby, which is what Jesus did. We celebrated his birth yesterday. All, those of you who have had children, you might have even, you might know how they felt the day after the baby was born, right? They were excited that day, they were exhausted the next. And on that night, it was just Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, probably some animals. That's where they were. And it was interesting, they hewed. The barns, essentially, the places where they kept their animals safe over the winter out of, out of rocks. It's probably a cave, essentially, a man-made cave, similar to how Christ would be with a rich man in his death, actually. They were very similarly constructed, and that was how he was welcomed to this earth. The shepherds were there that night. The angels told them, come. Um, and they were nearby, and they were able to come. So there was Mary and Joseph. There was baby Jesus. The shepherds, some animals, probably noisy animals. There are no not noisy animals, are there? We had a cow in our backyard until a few weeks ago. Whew, noisy. 
He's now yummy, but he was noisy a month ago. He's very nicely marbled and in my freezer now. Right, Tony? Yeah. That's where he needs to stay, and that may be the last one we do that way. But you can imagine, you can imagine. Those of you who had, didn't have home births, you went to the hospital, there's all sorts of beeps and prods and pokes. It's probably not that different. Not that different. But one person that always shows up, well, not one person, several people, traditionally three, we don't know. I, I tend to think that there was a larger entourage than just three of the Magi. I think that it was a gaggle, if you will, of Magi. I'm sure that's the official representation of a large number of Magi's, a gaggle. I'm sure there was a lot of them, and I, and I kind of think that they entered town somewhat flamboyantly. That was the, the nature of the thing. Think... Uh, you know, Aladdin coming into the city, into the town, into the castle there with a parade. We'll see why that might be true here in a minute. They weren't there on that night, though. They weren't there. Um, They didn't come to the inn. They didn't see a baby in a manger. Uh, They came to a house, um, probably with a toddler, Jesus, in it. We skipped we, we see them, right? The wise men from the east. They didn't come there, but they were seeking him out. Sometime within the first two years of his, his earthly life, they didn't come from a nearby place. They came from far away. The shepherds could run. Uh, the magi did not. People wonder where they came from. Scripture just says they came from the east. Uh, it was a far place. I I. I some people distinguish between the Parthian region and Babylon. I think they came from Babylon. Uh, the reason I think that is because Israel and Babylon are closely linked in their history. And in fact, there were, was a substantial Jewish community there. You remember, right, because y'all are church folks. Some of you even grew up at El Paso Bible Church, right? And so you know this sort of thing, that they were in exile in Babylon. For decades, and that a young man named Daniel became a man of incredible note among the, the princes of those various empires that ruled over that town. But when they returned, not all returned. And there was a Jewish community there for 2,600 years since. They went there in 586 B.C. This year I read an article that said that the The Jewish population of what would now be Babylon is now less than five, which is unique in the history of that country since the exile. I think they came from Babylon, and I think the reason for that is that one of the wisest of the wise men lived out his life there and laid a foundation for the Jewish people there of expectation within the culture of that city and that nation. I don't think we have to go much further than that. Because you know it's weird, right? Why would Magi, 1,600, 1,700 miles away, it was a 3,400 mile roughly round trip by camel or horse. Can you imagine? We have people here who like to ride horses, but none of you have been on there 3,600 miles at a time. Right, Natalie? Yeah, yeah. Heaven forbid, right? There's no saddle that's that comfy. There's nothing I want to sit on for 3,600 miles. Nothing. I don't want to get on a plane. I won't be on a rocket ship. Nothing. 3,600 miles is a distance I do not want to travel. Why would a bunch of Gentile pagan astrologers, magi, from Babylon, 
take this trip, dangerous trip. It's because of the foundation I understand to be laid in that city. The substantial Jewish population there that needed to know about their Messiah, in my opinion. I won't fight you on this. If, you, if you're a greater scholar than I am and you want to fight about it, take it somewhere else. But I think that's what happened. It appears reasonable. There were still some in Babylon. There were some in Egypt. There, <laughs> these guys, some of them may have even been Jewish themselves. We're not told their extraction. At least one Jew had been a Magi, right? In the history of Babylon, Daniel. So they may have had a vested interest in this, but they came from the east. So we're going to look at this passage. And incidentally, this is the same passage uh, that the children's church, I think, is covering today. You're familiar with it. We even read it on, on Friday. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That's interesting, isn't it? All Jerusalem was distressed along with Herod. Magi come. They come to Jerusalem. That's where the king of the Jews rules from. He came to the king's court because that would be reasonable. We know where Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 relates that to us. In fact, Matthew quotes it here. But ancient people understood calendars right by the rule, reignings of kings. The ruling of kings. We do something similar during the so-and-so's administration, right? Be nice to know whose administration it was now, right? You just know it's some kind of administration. Herod the Great's rule. You and I, we go, Herod! <sighs> In fact, uh, we had a professor, right? I have his commentary on Ephesians. His life's work sitting on my desk, and, and jokingly, people called him Dr. Herod Honer. His name was Harold. But he was that difficult. Had a reputation for being that difficult as a professor. He's gone to be with the Lord now, and I, I think Jesus calls him Harold, or good and faithful servant, in fact. But we recoil when we hear the name Herod, rightfully so, because he made some terrible rulings in the biblical record but he was a pretty good king. He was a pretty good ruler. He did a lot to ensure the freedom of religion under the Roman Empire in Judea. He did a lot for the Jewish people, actually. He made sure that they had the freedom to observe um, their, their spiritual and religious practices that had been mandated to them more than anybody else, I think one of the better rulers under Roman rule. But he wasn't a son of David. He wasn't a son of David. Recently, some family members of mine got interested in genealogy, and they got a hold of some interesting material. Um, 
and all of a sudden they started seeing their lineage go back to King David. I got real excited about it. And then I looked at it, and it was Latter-day Saint material. Now, you may not know this, but Latter-day Saints have a vested interest in making sure that virtually every American of European extraction essentially is related to, the, to David's line. That's part of their religion. It's part of their eschatology. It's very important to them. So I had to remind them uh, that may be scintillating at first you know, glance, but it's not reliable. But we know what Herod was. Herod wasn't a son of David. He wasn't even a Jew. He was, they called them later Idumeans, which is a fancy word for Edomite, which is a not-so-fancy word for a nation wiped off the face of the planet by God. You haven't been to the United States of Edom? Because they don't exist. Their right to have a nation on the face of this earth was removed from them. So Herod was ruling over a people that were not his own, over whom he had no right to rule. He was descended from the line of Esau. He showed an Abrahamic, here's a big word for you, you can impress folks over New Year's, patrilineage. He was descended from the same father, Abraham, going back that far. They were cousins kind of. And so Israel had been commanded not to mistreat Edom, and Edom had been commanded not to mistreat Israel. That only went one way. (laughs) Israel didn't mistreat Edom, but Edom did mistreat Israel. So they were stricken uh, from the earth. In fact, there's, there's a short little book in the Old Testament called Obadiah, and Obadiah basically exists to tell us why there is no Edomite nation on the face of the planet. It's a short little book. He can't be the legitimate king, not only of Israel, but of any people. And Obadiah tells us this. He says, because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On that day you stood aloof on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You too were as one of them. Cut off forever. You remember that Esau was given a covenant promise, don't you? He was cut off from. They were cut off from that. No Edomite has a national heritage in the world. Now, if we wanted to be very politically incorrect, we could discuss what people group has some Edomite genes in them. Maybe I will. Uh, You know the word Palestinian in Palestine, right? It's actually Philistine. But the Palestinians aren't Philistines. They're Canaanites and Edomites. And thus, when the question comes up, should there be a Palestinian nation in the world? The answer can be clearly stated, no, because neither Canaanite nor Edomite has a national heritage in this world. It doesn't mean you're supposed to mistreat individual Canaanites and Edomites, but they are not owed a country. They're not owed a land or national sovereignty. Somebody will come up and tell me that I'm, I'm going to... I just said the Democrats can't be saved. You just watch. Somebody will do it. <laughs> somebody did it last time I said something like that. That's not what I said, is it? Did I say anything like that? I didn't even mention a party. 
Those are God's words. Do Palestinians have a right to live? Yes. Do they have a right to a country? No. They do not. Neither based on their Canaanite heritage or their Edomite heritage. But that's where Herod's sitting. He's sitting in a king's palace, ruling over a people. He's even called king. He's even called the great. No one ever called me the great. I'm pretty big. And some very wise people come in. And I think they came in with a parade because that was how you honored. When you came in the ancient world, when you came to see the king, you pulled out all the stops. You established a parade coming down the road. I don't think that he had a genie to help him, but I bet it was impressive. All of these magi coming in, and they ask him, men that are used to being before nobility, used to recognizing kings, they understood the etiquette, and they say, where, where is the born king of the Jews? Where's the born king of the Jews? Imagine Herod's blood pressure went up a few notches. He knows he's a usurper. The Jewish people knew he was a usurper. Many of them failed to recognize him even as a legitimate ruler. And they're not there randomly. They're not looking for somebody that they just presumed has to be there. They say, we saw his star. And we have come to worship him. So Herod is distressed. He's the rightful ruler of nowhere and nobody. He's a usurper. And people are here legitimately wanting to be before the one who is born king of the Jews. So not surprisingly, Herod's not an Old Testament scholar. So he needs some help here. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. This was common, common knowledge. Everyone knew where David was born. They knew what the city of David was. They knew it was the Bethlehem of Judea, not the Bethlehem of Zebulun, etc. There were multiple Bethlehems around. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's a common reference in the, in the ancient Near East, the A-N-E, we call it when we're talking to nerds. Uh, kings were said to shepherd their people. They were, they were there to defend them. They were there to preserve their freedom. They were there to provide for them. All of them, in the ancient world, kings were referred to as shepherds. And God used that image. He's here to shepherd my people. Not to be a puppet for Rome and not to do all the terrible things that Herod would end up doing, but to shepherd the people. They're coming to worship him. And all Jerusalem with him. Everybody's distressed. But they know. They know right away. There's not a lot of conversation. You know, you read about certain interpreters of things in Scripture, and they go and have a huddle. They're like, okay, should we tell them the truth? There was none of that here. 
I'd imagine that it's hard for as a usurper king, Edomite, to get, make sure that you're getting the truth from people. But they gave him the truth. This shepherd, this king, this ruler is supposed to be a shepherd for the people. He's not just supposed to be a, a political manipulator, but he's going to be not, not a hireling, is the contrast that Jesus drew between those who had legitimate authority in Israel. So you know this story. Then Herod secretly called the Magi. So out away from the chief priests, away from the scribes, away from the other Old Testament scholars, in this smoky back room, right? He calls them and he tells them something. I want you to tell me when you find him. I want you to tell me. Report to me and I want to come also and I want to worship And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. I had a long argument one time while I was in seminary with a guy over lunch about what the star was. What was a star? If I tell you, every once in a while it happens, right? Every couple of years we have some big meteor shower, and everyone says, go look at the meteor shower. And everybody in this area can go look at the meteor shower. If there's a lunar eclipse, what do you hear? We'll go out and watch the lunar. It's only a, and then everyone gets excited because a couple of years ago we had the blood moons, right? And everybody was ready to you know, do their best chicken little out there, including some people that should know better. We're all going to die because John Hagee said so or whatever down in San Antonio. There's a blood moon. What's the, what's the common denominator there? If you see an astronomical event, everybody on the right side of the earth, on the correct side of the earth at the time can see it. Yes? If there's a star visible, I can see it. Why did Herod have to say? I mean, they told him. We followed his star here. We followed a big blinky thing in the sky, and it led us 1,700 miles this way. Why did Herod have to say, hey, when you, when you finish following the big blinky thing in the sky, come back and tell me where Jesus is? Couldn't he have followed the big blinky thing in the sky? We have a star on the mountain in El Paso, right? Half the people in El Paso don't know where they are in the dark if they can't see the star on the mountain if they grew up here. It's true. Well, is it star on my left or on my right at that point? Right? Do I turn left at the circle K or right? It's like that. I don't think it was an astronomical star. And I don't think it was visible to everybody. I think it was visible to those who were seeking it. And it was a special revelation from God, much as he had revealed his glory to his people who were seeking his presence in the past because it appears to them and guides them. So after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. That's the other thing. That's not star behavior, is it? 
Most things in the, in the galaxy go in ellipses, you know, a flat circle thing. That's why you get your seasons and your rotations. You can do a little math and you can calculate it. Who was the guy that invented calculus? That's why I didn't like calculus. I don't think you invent math. But he, they, give him, they say he invented calculus because you couldn't do it on a desk. He had to surmise it from watching what happened with the astronomical bodies. I don't like math that gets invented. Uh-oh, do you, love, do you love calculus? You don't know if you love calculus. That's a wise answer. I don't know. I don't know why I should love calculus. Well, I took it, and I passed it, and I placed out of it in college. Praise Jesus, right? Never had to take it again. They don't teach calculus at Dallas Seminary, thankfully. That would be rough. Here, take calculus again. I thought we were taking Hebrew. <laughs> Hebrew is real. Calculus is pretend. It's not. I know. And math people are cringing right now. And I know it's not pretend, but it feels that way. Physics, I understand. They follow the star. And the star stops where this child is. The, the child is Pi Dion here, right? It's not the word for baby. A little toddler running around. Most likely. Unless he, well, he was the oldest child in his family. The youngest son in my family, I don't think, would have walked still. He, he never walked anywhere, did he? He didn't even, Isaac just wanted to sit around and be picked up. Everybody picked him up and took him. But the oldest child walked soon. I think he was walking around and he visible there. They found him because they were seeking him. And God provided a sign that they would recognize because of the profession and the culture that they were in, a sign that would provoke them and inspire them to follow it 1,700 and plus miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. So they worshiped him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. had the opportunity to buy frankincense myself once. A little goes a long way. It's like those old billboards. A little dab will do you. You can put a very little bit of frankincense in a fairly large bottle of olive oil and it all smells like frankincense. You know what? It's still ridiculously precious. A little bottle of frankincense costs a large bit of money. Still. You know, we have modern collection methods. These are tremendously valuable gifts. Tremendously. And they came 1,700 miles to present them to him. In this house, which he lived with Mary, his mother, and Joseph, they worshiped him. And having been warned in a dream, I have an italics here by God, but I, I don't know how else they would be warmed in a dream, but it doesn't actually say that. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. They were interpreters of dreams. That was part of their skill set. Um, I'm not telling you. So, so 
it's come to my attention that there are certain young men that eat Vienna sausages in this church with mustard. Some of them live in my house. Let me tell you something. If you try to interpret the dreams that come from eating a can of Vienna sausages with hot mustard on them, you are going to go crazy. Son, don't, don't reveal yourself. I was being anonymous. I was trying to spare you. I was being anonymous here, son. There's five of you. It could be any of you that engage in this foolishness, right? You have to be able to tell between the Vienna sausage dreams and the ones from God, right? You have to have some proficiency because not every dream has meaning. But they understood, right? When they got this dream, there was a warning here. Do not go back. Do, don't follow Herod's orders. Don't obey the mandate. Was it not a fiat by a ruler of the people? There are times where the mandates aren't to be followed. Certainly when it comes in between the function that God has given you on the earth and following the mandate. Because remember, the Magi were going back to Babylon for a purpose. There was a Jewish, as far as I see it, there's a Jewish community there that otherwise would not have known that the Messiah had come. They weren't supposed to be there. They were, it was disobedience that kept them there. They were supposed to return. They were supposed to have returned a long time ago. That's why it makes me slightly happy to know that there are less than five living in Iraq right now. That tells me that a higher proportion of them live in Israel than in Iraq. In 1948, there were 150,000 Jews living in Iraq. I'm happy that the proportion is smaller because that's not their land. And there are things that they cannot pursue in a land that is not theirs. They were warned. Don't do what Herod says. And after that long, long journey, right, 34 to 3,600 miles where you went, what did they do? They went home. Every time I turned around growing up as a kid, I was told that I had to go and become a missionary. Did did y'all have that experience? Twice a year, we were told when we were going to be revived. We had three days in which to revive ourselves. It was not the day after Christmas. That was a legitimate strategic decision probably because you can't overcome the, the meat coma, right? So you can't be revived. But we were told when we'd be revived, and at the end of the revival, Dozens and dozens of people that were too young to know what they were going to have for breakfast the next morning would come up and commit their lives to being missionaries, foreign missionaries, go off and do that. And everybody would point to Paul, the apostles, Thomas, who apocryphally died a martyr's death in what we now know as India. 
and no mention of the, that being the exception. Always being a, a minority. It's a wonderful thing to do. The Magi, with all of their resources, having invested so much time, so much effort, having risked so much to come and worship the king of the Jews, the son of David, went home to fulfill the function that God had given him on the earth. I think we have a real problem in American Christianity. We all want to be rock stars, not to steal Nickelback's song from them, right? They can keep it. But we all want to be rock star Christians, don't we? If you grew up in church, maybe you felt that. God wants you to do what he gives you to do. He doesn't want you to be uncontent, discontented with the things that he's given you in this world. He wants you to encounter Christ, to worship Christ, and he wants you to go home and worship Christ there and live in the light of what Christ has done and the fact that he's coming again. They would be forever changed, but they went home having encountered Christ. Maybe to encourage the Jews that were still in Babylon to pursue their heritage in the promised land. You understand that. We've covered this. Uh, we're covering Exodus in Sunday school. We didn't have Sunday school this morning. That was weird, wasn't it? I found myself sitting having an extra cup of coffee watching my watch at home. I didn't know what to do. But we've talked about this, that the people that came to Israel, the Exodus generation, when they entered into the promised land, they were given essentially what we would call meets and bounds on a survey. It said, this is your eternal heritage for you and your children to pass from father to son to family, and it's yours forever. It's yours forever. And if you possess it and follow my law, you'll be blessed in it. So why would you choose to live in Babylon? <laughs> or New York? Or wherever? El Paso. We have a substantial number of folks living in El Paso, as a matter of fact. Many go back so far as the Inquisition. We're forced here. But they went home to witness to Christ there. So what now? Well, you and I need to recognize that when Christ came, he promised bookends. Christ came in his incarnation as a baby. He is coming again. And everybody's life on this earth is determined by those two events. Your future, your eternity, everything. And the people that you run into every day, many of them don't know that. You don't have to go <laughs> wherever. You can go home and tell them that. The, the jobs that we have, the positions that we have, the, the influence that we have, we don't need to seek other. We have it where we are and doing what God has given us in our jobs, in our employment, ministry, our businesses. 
and live with that light in front of us, that Jesus is coming again. He's coming for his church. He's coming for us. There's a friend of mine who used to say every chapel message has now gone to be with the Lord. Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. Are we ready to go home? I am. I'm a little tired. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth that you came, that your son came, and that in seeing him, we have seen you. We know your love for us. We know that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. We thank you for these truths. Thank you for the truth that your son is coming again to bring all things to perfection. Father, we ask that as we go from this place that we would love others enough to know that 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 event defines our eternity and their eternity. And we tell them about your son and how they can have life in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll close with a song. Beneath